Oh, what a blessing. Take your Bibles this morning, and we're going to be in James, but we're going to go over to James chapter 4. Uh, I said this morning, did I say this morning, this afternoon here, and it'll be in James chapter 4. Appreciate the testimonies. It is good, very therapeutic to be able to give testimony. It's a great way to help uh, cement and work out what it is that God is doing, and then it's a great help to others. If you really want to be about this matter of others serving, that's a good way. And in, in all these different things, there's still challenges. There's a challenge that uh, keep you from uh, getting the glory in your own testimony, but rather to put the emphasis of transparency, what God is doing in your life. And that's, that's one thing that's very important when you're going to work with people, and that's what ministry is. We've got to be transparent and stay transparent. And um, I, I see people in our church who became very transparent and real. And where they thought they were just giving up, just they, they, they just got honest and, and they really thought it was going to set them back. But that really propelled them and made them a much more effective leader and help to others. And, uh, and so I, I just uh, commend you for your honesty and transparency. Just a thought, uh, how many have been, are currently, at some point in time, maybe you have been involved with Minutemen Ministries? Would you raise your hand? Oh, not, not as many. I just thought it would be like 95%. And um, there's a, let's do it again. Just hold your hand up. How many? All right. How many are, are Minutemen veterans? Raise your hand. And that um, means past, in, in the past. All right. And how many are currently you're in the midst of preparing to travel you're going to go out this semester all right wonderful wow it's um that was that's just uh, I wish I could uh, rewind and go back in many ways to those days with Minutemen it was it was life-changing um, it was it was the scariest thing I'd ever done uh, it, and it, it was it was the closest thing to me Maybe to what Peter felt like stepping out of a boat, and uh, it was it was it was uh, rough. Um, and I, I I think at that time I was the first evangelist or the the only evangelist at that point that had never traveled as a team captain. Um, has there been another? You you decided you weren't going to make that mistake again, and uh, um, but it was it, it was. There, there were so many things. It, it's like going to Disney World, enjoying Disney World, but then you're told, now you run it. And, uh, and, and he just thought all he had to do is flip a switch, and, uh, and it made it work. And, and I remember trying to figure this thing out, and, and, and Dr. Jim just said, just, just, just watch it. Just, just come and watch it. And I'm, I'm trying to script this whole thing, and I did. I, I ended up scripting Everything. I mean, where Dr. Jim said, uh, "Okay, I put that in there," and 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 it just—I was so scared. I just told him, "I can't do this. I, I, I can't do it." But it was the, the most incredible experience being under Dr. Jim. It was—it was hard. It, um, it, it was—that's hard because <laughs> uh, I never had anybody that was willing to be honest with me and uh, help me. And um, it taught me to preach. I know you wouldn't know that, but um, I, it learned that there's a lot about outline that didn't matter at that time. But um, getting a hold of God is, is, was the key. And uh, 
There's just some incredible times. Um, you know, uh, you can tell a guy really if, if they've traveled with Minutemen. And I, I, I think uh, when you, especially you guys get married, you begin to, if you ever, that's why you need your wives to help you. Because uh, you have furniture that needs to be repaired. And, and, um, and you can tell a Minutemen guy. He's got uh, a big ball covering over the chair, and uh, you figure out it works for a big ball. It covers a chair real well, too, and, and, um, and if that doesn't work, you just put a bunch of duct tape on there, and uh, you know you've traveled with Minutemen, but uh, it's, it's good stuff. But one of the things that helped me, I couldn't get all the little details and, and, and making that happen, but it took getting the big picture. I had to get the mindset. I had to understand what it was, what we were doing. And a lot of times it was me understanding what we're trying to end up with and work backwards and recognizing this is more than just a product. It's more than just here's what we're trying to get, a certain number of decisions. No, it was a process and, um, and it, it was, it, it's a philosophy that was there, but it all comes out of that mindset. Every, every aspect of the competition, it comes out of the mindset. Christian life is the same thing. Discipleship's the same way. Uh, following God, and you know what I mean by discipleship. It's this matter of following the one who saved you. It's a mindset. It, it all comes out of, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And uh, so we, we've seen uh, this, this mind. And really, James, I thought, was just a shotgun blast of, of someone. He's just, he's just going to pepper everybody with something in that congregation that's scattered and, and needing help. But no, it's, it is a mindset. He's trying to help in this matter of thinking right and being able to have the right um, dimensions in place concerning many different areas. And um, we were talking before the service, I agree with Dr. Jim, this matter of chapter number two, faith, it is the absolute key to this. And this is, he, he doesn't miss, he doesn't leave this out all throughout. And you get a hold of that and it all falls into place. I'm grateful for uh, how God's used uh, these particular truths in my life and still using them. But I want us to look at chapter number four, here again, familiar uh, to you. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and stand for a moment here and we'll begin reading verses 1 through 6. And I, I think chapter number 3 verse 13 probably through chapter 4 and verse 10 is a, a, a thought and they, they can go together real, real well and it helps understanding that. But we're going to look at six verses here in chapter 4. Verse 1, from whence come wars and fightings among you. Come they not hence, even of your lust, that war in your members. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Hold on. Preach this thought. 
What's wrong with worldliness? What's wrong with worldliness? Here he helps us see there's battles to fight. There always will be. But the sad part is if we're not careful, even with all the truth, these are good people. These are people who knew the Lord and he's given them great information. But if we're not careful, worldliness can set in. And what will happen is your battles will change and you will be called up fighting the wrong battles. What's wrong with worldliness? Thank you. Please be seated. Worldliness. A lot of good definitions. Let me give you this. It's an expression of the heart that does not authentically include God. It's an expression of the heart that does not authentically include God. There's a lot of things that may not be bad or sinful or wrong, but if God is not legitimately a part of that, in that, leading that, inspiring that, blessing that, it's worldly. It's independence of God. It's living my life my way, even in the midst of ministry, even in the midst of um, uh, perhaps from an outward perspective, uh, blessing, blessing in in numbers and size. Your ministry is bigger than someone else, therefore uh, you can't criticize it. But if you're living in worldliness, and that's something you may not see on the outside, it's an independence on the inside. It's a convenient use of God. Remember in Judges, remember in chapter number 10, there were people in bondage and they cried out to God and God basically responded to them, I think we've been here before. Uh, Didn't I deliver you? Didn't I deliver you from uh, this group over there and goes down through all the different ites, the Amorites and the Mayanites and And he begins to say, we've done this before. But I'm not going to do it again. Whatever you want to do, it's up to you. But I'm not going to do this again. And and sometimes we find ourselves, we we tend to use God conveniently. Well, I'm glad. We we get drawn away, enticed of our own lusts. We we do this. and, and, And boy, I don't want my ministry to crash and burn. I don't want this to be a disaster and a waste here. So I'm glad I can come back to God. I want to tell you that that's not repentance. That's not changing your mind. That's not taking God's side. That is a convenient use of God. And you're not really getting through to God. Just because you say the cute prayer and you go through that and, and, you, and you do what you're supposed to do supposedly, that's not taking God's side. Worldliness has a way of seeping in. In that Judges chapter 10 passage, they told God, you're right. They said, God, you do whatever is right. In your eyes, but what they ended up doing was they humbled themselves. They put away the strange gods and they got right and it moved God. That's the very nature of God will be moved. But what he's pointing out is just the danger of worldliness, the danger of conveniently using him to your your particular advantage. And church, however, is a place for sick people. We talk about it. It, We we refer to it as this hospital environment. And James wants you to know that God's hospital is a place 
where there's sickness. It's for you to, to say, I don't want you to know my problem. I don't want you to know where I'm struggling. It doesn't make sense. That's why you're here. This is a place for sickness. This is a college that is part of this church. It's part of a hospital atmosphere. It is a place of cutting. Why? Because sickness is there, but in God's hospital, he says, we want to do something about it. So there's going to be some cutting involved. There's going to be something done with worldliness. Worldliness sets oneself against God and it functions independent of God, thus destroying any potential for satisfaction and gain and maturing. Well, can that happen while here in Bible college? Well, can it? You ever hear of the older brother? The prodigal you know, you could have told uh, anyone else that oh, that's a prodigal you can see him a mile off yeah there's no doubt about it that, that guy's a rebel but you know the story the older brother he had the right checklist he wore what you wore he did what you did he attended what you attend he he listened what you listened to he learned what you learned but the problem is is that worldliness can can slip in and seep in and and it can saturate any person's heart and mind if it's allowed. And James is pointing out this matter of worldliness and where it's reflected and how we can tell when worldliness, this matter of, of treating God uh, in a convenient fashion, this matter of being independent of God, this matter of, of not really authentically including God in my life. And it comes out, he mentions three different areas. I want us to see this afternoon. And the first one is, he says, from whence come wars and fighting among you. Worldliness is reflected in conflict with others. Conflict with others. See, a Christian who lives in perpetual conflict is reflecting worldliness. If you're constantly having conflict with your roommates, your classmates, and you're having conflict with co-workers or church members when you're around long enough to be able to have relationships. In, in our marriage, um, if we're having constant conflict, there's a good indication worldliness has set in. You may not look at it and see it on the outside, but James is saying it's there. Fighting among God's people. Oh, it's nothing new. Um, he, he tells us here these wars and fights. I don't think he's talking about the military wars. He's talking about among God's people. Paul wrote letters to keep churches from being torn asunder by division and strife. You say, well, we're, we're Bible college students. It's not going to happen here. Yes, it can. It easily can. Be, be not deceived. And Corinth was a badly divided church. The churches of Galatia were biting, devouring one another. The church of Ephesus was admonished to unity. Philippi, two women couldn't get along and Paul addressed their problem. See, their conflict was an expression of their heart problem, their worldliness. They're involved in church matters, but they were not authentically including God. Rich discriminated against the poor. They're playing favorites. They're, you know, th th this... This person, I'll be friends to. Maybe I can get favor from them. And values of the world came into the church. And Paul addresses those things, all of that in chapter number two. 
He deals with the disorderly in chapter number 3, verse number 16, where he talks about the matter where envying and strife is. There's confusion in every evil work. You know, so there's conflict. Well, why, why are y'all having conflict? Well, you know, I, I just have a bad temper. No, I'd say your temper has you. It's worldliness. We're secular in our thinking. We're worldly in our approach. How are things going with your family, with home? Conflict. But not just conflict with others, but notice in verse number one, from whence come wars and fightings among you, come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members. It's not just others, but also conflict within ourselves. Worldliness appears in the conflict, the battle that's raging within ourselves. All kinds of conflict and battles. And James is telling us why we're having these problems and why these are coming about. It's because you're looking oftentimes in the wrong place. See, James says your, your outward conflict is because of your inward carnality. Notice again, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence of your, say the word? Yeah, try it again. Uh, they come, uh, come they not hence even of your, that war in your members? Your outward conflict is because of your inward carnality. Your carnality is because is caused by the source of your pleasure or your satisfaction. You know the, Recognize the term hedonism. What does that mean? Who knows what that means? Yeah, it's, it's living life for pleasure. We live to be satisfied. I don't know how many products you've bought, but many times you're looking for that satisfaction guaranteed. And we kind of have that mindset. So people also come to church with that mindset. They're looking for, um, this, this church ought to be situated and geared so that it satisfies me. Now, how are you going to handle that kind of a ministry, making sure that your ministry is not uh, based upon satisfying the consumer, but rather satisfying the head whose name is Christ? How are you going to do that if you yourself are bent to, I think I deserve that. This is what I would like. Satisfaction guaranteed. We're looking for satisfaction from the wrong source. And if you're doing that, it's going to produce conflict. All kinds of responses. Sometimes people will say, well, she don't know who I am. How dare she say something like that about me? Or somebody, a guy says, he certainly ain't talking to me. And those are just people sitting in the vehicle at the red light. Oh, they're just that kind of a, a mindset. Oh, they're not cutting me off. And we have this, this, this conflict response to things. And we lash out in uncontrolled anger. Remember James back telling us be slow to anger because something's wrong with us. Whenever that's happening and the result is an anger, something is wrong in you that 
you're trying to satisfy yourself from a wrong source. Be slow to anger. Find out if what you're trying to satisfy in you ought to even be satisfied in the first place. That's why we have clinics and therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists. That's why there's child abuse and murderers and people are messed up because there's a mess in them. They're playing the blame game again like we talked about last night. Why did Eve sin? Because she wanted to. Why did Adam sin? Because he wanted to. Eve had her feel-good tree. And what is it that you have? And maybe no one else would really say it's bad, but it's just a wrong source for you to find your satisfaction. Remember what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, that in these last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. If you're not careful, you can even thrive off of a ministry to others, but it's really about you. You say, well, how can you tell? Well, he's going to get to that. If we don't see that worldliness can taint anything that, that is good, anything that God is doing, worldliness can taint it, it can counterfeit it, and it can ultimately disrupt and destroy. So he says that there's wars, wars taking place uh, um, with others, conflict with others, conflict within ourselves. In verse 1, verse number 2, he says, ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. So where's the conflict coming from? It's coming from the lust. What's the lust? Well, it's coveting. You're fighting because you're not getting what you want. Conflict. They didn't give me what, they didn't bow down to me. They didn't give me preferential treatment. We, we have spiritual temper tantrums. You have not, James says, you have not, you didn't get what you wanted, it didn't work out the way you thought it should happen, you have not, because you asked not. God said if something is legitimate and you want it, all you had to do was ask God. Are you still awake? What did you eat for lunch? Some melatonin? <laughs> God says if you wanted something legitimate, all you had to do was ask. And God said, what will you look at? Verse 2, ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye, do you not have that? Ask not. Yes, not. And God says, I give it to you, but since you wanted it on your terms, you're not or you won't ask God. See, the level of your prayer life will determine the level of your spiritual effectiveness. I'm not talking about the length of your prayer life. I'm talking about the level, the depth, the seriousness. See, you can pray and not authentically include God in your prayer. Remember, God's not a checklist. He's not a list. 
to, if there's something legitimate in your life, something you want, God says, ask. Ask me for it. You spend hours fuming, but seconds praying. And the worst, the, 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 the worse the conflict gets, the more that tends to be wrong on the inside. The more that's wrong on the inside, it ought to drive you to the presence of God that can solve and satisfy you at the same time. But worldliness is going to keep feeding to the fact that uh, you, you, you can have this over there. You look over here, do this, and, and, and you're beginning to, to just find satisfaction in things that maybe are not necessarily wrong in themselves initially, but you're seeing more and more conflict. The measures that people go through to satisfy their own selves. We saw David last night. I think about Absalom. Absalom was willing to kill his father, David, just to get his throne, even though David loved him. Because worldliness, that too is how we kill relationships in our family. Again, we heard a tremendous message on ministry, others. You know what's going to kill it? is letting worldliness get in and trying to have a ministry without understanding that there's a God of the ministry who's looking to have a ministry in you. And that worldliness gets in. And you'll devastate a relationship. Have you ever heard in, in the news with people maybe that are famous, they're going to have a divorce and they always give the reason, irreconcilable differences. Irreconcilable differences. Oh, they're two different sinners. I mentioned this morning that if both of you were the same, one of you would be unnecessary. Yeah, we're different. But the issue is not the difference. The issue is turning the conflicts into compliments. God wants us to work. God wants, when it comes to marriage, to become one. And so there, there are differences, but that's not the issue. The issue is turning the conflicts that may be there into compliments. And that happens by the power of God. And you say, I can't wait to give it a try. Give it a try now with people that you're around and reckon, recognize, yes, we're different. Yes, people uh, from different parts of the country may think different. People different uh, 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 Positions in life are just going to have a different approach. That's not the problem. Not if they're people that God loves and Jesus died for. That's not our problem. The greatest problem is when we divorce ourselves in the smallest way from the reality of God and not including God authentically into an area of our life and that worldliness starts setting in and it starts tainting things. Something you're lacking, something you need, something you're deficient of. God says, just ask. Well, pastor, you're wrong. The problem's not on my end. I've prayed about it. You ever heard that? And I, I, I hear that too often. I, I just think somewhere, somebody ought to say, that has expired. You can't use that card anymore. Well, I prayed about it. Well, James tells us the devil's pray as well, so... 
You know, what, 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 what's the point? Just because you prayed about it? Muslims pray more than many of God's people pray. Praying about it, that's your reason to justify doing what you want to do in spite of everything else that is indicating God's not a part of that. So you may ask, you may really be asking. You may be asking God, but the motives are wrong. And so your motives are wrong, so you may spend it on your pleasure. You're praying for something, you're asking for something, and your motives are not in line with God, and you're wanting it so that it could be for your satisfaction. So you've got one of two problems. One, either you don't pray and ask, or two, you're praying and asking, but you're doing it out of selfishness. Either you're not praying and asking God for that need that's within your life. Or you are praying, you are asking, but you're doing it out of selfishness. See, your motive is the key. If your motive is not the glory of God, but your own selfish end, worldliness. Worldliness gets in. A lot of times when it comes to marriage, we'll see people this way, a rough marriage. There's fighting. Yet we have not because we ask not. And so one may come to the altar and pray and, Lord, I need help. But since we're not at the marriage stage, let's take a um, relationship here. Let's take um, old Mateo's here. I can pick on Mateo. I should always be careful to pick on somebody bigger than me, taller than me. But Mateo, come up here for just a second. Let's do this. Um, you're not living in the dorm, are you? All right, so maybe this will even be better. Let's say Mateo was living in the dorm and, and you have roommates. How many roommates do you have, guys, dorm? Two or three. Um, two or three trials and blessings there, right? And, and um, girls, what do you have? More than that? You only have one to a room? Is that the way it is? <laughs> you got to make room for those accoutrements and blow dryers and those things. Um, and so let's, let's say real conflict, living in the dorm, genuine conflict is a problem. And, and, and things are a problem. You, you, people, there's going to be a problem. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be friction. Um, anyone travel with Minutemen? Uh, there's, there's conflict. There's, there's friction. And, um, and, and don't think that's bad. No, you, you travel with Minutemen so conflict and friction can occur because Dr. Jim loves that. He thrives off of conflict and friction. No, no he doesn't. Um, he, he thrives off of the solving it and getting you to Jesus. That's what he thrives off of. And he just knows it's got to happen. We got to get there. Why? Because you're never going to have a ministry to others until we fix the worldliness that is being exposed by the pressure that God is allowing. So, but anyway, going back to what James is saying, you have a legitimate need. God says, ask. I'll give it to you. You've heard that in John 14 and 15. 
And so Mateo's got a real issue. He's got a real problem. There's conflict there. There's, there's, there's guys that and he just lists off the irritations. And, and he's got a good case. He's got a good point. One of them snores, snores too loud. And, and it sounds like a dump truck coming through. And, and um, another one has the alarm clock goes off. It sounds like a foghorn. And everybody hears it except the one who set the alarm. And, and, and that's a legitimate problem. Um, then, then there's this matter of, 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 of socks that stink. And how in the world can they stink this bad? How can that come off of a human being that is alive? And, um, and so Mateo says, I check, and there's no decomposing body, but it still stinks. And, and so there's real problems. I can't serve God and live in this environment. So he's got a couple options here. And, and, and Paul is telling us, or excuse me, James is telling us that the Lord is saying, come to me and ask. And so what, what Mateo can do is he can come to the altar, go to the altar and pray. Uh, Mateo, he's down here praying. He's praying fervently. And here's what he's praying. Oh, God, you know my situation. God, you're sovereign. You know everything that's happening. God, get me out of it. And he's praying. And he's really praying. And he's at it, invitation after invitation. And you see him. And you begin to recognize well, he's really serious. He's torn up. And, and we, need to, we, need to, we need to be concerned about others. And so you come along and I tell you, what's the problem? I've got some real personal conflict here. I'm, I'm seeking God. God said, come to him and ask. And I'm asking. And, uh, and so uh, someone says, you say, well, I'd like to partner with you. I'd like to join with you. What are we praying for? And, and Mateo says, I'm praying, God, get me out of this. Get them out. Move those guys out. Move me out. And go ahead and sit up, Mateo. And uh, it's not happening. God, you failed. You said, if it's a legitimate need, and there are some legitimate needs, you said to ask. I asked, and you didn't do anything. And so what Mateo can do is he can just say, well, I'm packing my bags. I'm going home. School didn't do anything. These guys didn't do anything. God didn't do anything. And I'm just, gonna, I'm just, I'm just going on. After all, I prayed about it, didn't he? Well, didn't he? Yeah, quite, quite intense, a, a long period of time. I prayed about it. And by the way, you think, well, I know this is really kind of silly, but can I tell you that there are people who do that with their marriages? There's a man I talked to recently saying the same thing. We've got some irreconcilable differences and, and all of this. And he says, and I've been praying. I said, well, I'm going to pray with you as well. And then, um, and then he began to pray. You know what he prayed for? God, get me out of this marriage. Get me out of it. And do you know how easy it could be for something to happen, for him to do something, and he can say that God is for this, God was in this, it was very simple, very easy for us to separate and depart in all of this. I'm telling you, this stuff happens, it happens, but I'm not concerned about happening there. I'm concerned about it happening right here. And so God says, come, ask me about it. But I did, and he didn't do anything. And God tells us why. Because what Mateo was asking for was not for God to get glory through this. Mateo was asking, God, get me out of this. But instead, if you were to ask God, 
Would you show up and deliver me from me? Would you deliver me from worldliness? So here's the issue. Which one, which one would God get the most glory for? Uh, we've got a special private room for you, Mateo. You can come right over here and, and stay all to yourself. Anything else you need, we'll send the guys with the fans and the grapes and, and everything else. And, and uh, you have that. Would that give God the greatest glory or God showing up and helping you be able to see if I can't do this, if I can't keep up with the footmen, how am I going to be able to make it with the horses? How am I going to be able to get into it when whenever there's real problems in life. And, and I've been so concerned about just me. I, I can't wait. I want a youth ministry, and I want to be able to have this. Uh, young man said, uh, I, I, I've surrendered to God that he would use me. I believe God wants me to be a youth pastor. And I said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do as long as I can make 50000 a year. And as long as, and I just stopped him right then. I said, well, number one, it ain't going to happen. And number two, it ain't going to happen. Because we're still focused about me. Well, why don't we pray, God, you said to talk to you about this is legitimate. It's a concern. I don't know what else to do with it. But I want you to get glory in it. I want you to get the greatest of glory. Help. The conflict isn't so much out there. The conflict is always right in here. Thank you, Mateo. Worldliness is authentically leaving God out of it. God's not our genie. Don't, don't forget. He's not here just to give you your request. Rough church situation. Rough school situation. How do I know if I'm praying the right prayer? Again, simple. What glory will God get out of it? And if you're praying, God, I want you to get the greatest of glory, I'm telling you, I think you're going to start getting answers to prayer. God wants to. You see, God saves a man to bring glory to himself, not to make you feel better. But he says, if you will cooperate, you'll have the time of your life, you'll be satisfied, you'll be overflowing with joy, you'll have peace. It doesn't matter what the circumstance may be. He says, instead, notice verse 3, you ask. This is Mateo down here. He's, pray, he's asking. He's receiving not because you ask amiss, meaning it's a diseased or sick prayer. It has no eternal value. We have a lot of diseased and sick praying that goes on if prayer goes on in our churches. And he says, because you want to consume, verse 3, it upon your lust. Consume is the idea of squander, like the prodigal son. He, he squandered his inheritance. He just wasted the opportunity. Remember Moses in God's conversation, show me your glory. You say, well, I thought God wanted to bless me. Well, he does. But he's wanting you to see what he sees. That is, he wants you to see whether or not you want him or you just want his blessing. Let me ask you, in your life, in your walk with God, in your relationship, does God feel appreciated?
worldliness. It's going to cause conflict with others. It'll cause conflict within yourself. But then verse number four, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of this world is the enemy of God. There's a conflict with God. Spiritual adultery. God is saying if you've got this other love on the side, the world, how can you expect him to be intimate with you? Again, it may not be something, we're not talking about necessarily a sinful item, something God's forbidden. We're just talking about an area of our life where God is not authentically involved in that. God is not leading it. He's not lording over it. He's not a part of it. The root cause of conflict with God is worldliness. It's spiritual infidelity because of breaking of a covenant with God. Adultery in the Bible is always tied to adultery or idolatry, rather. It's a worshiping of another God. It's having a wrong concept of God, thinking God is okay with this. God understands my background. He knows my upbringing. He knows that I didn't have a, a father who uh, was even in my life. He knows that I don't come from a preacher's home. He knows that my church even was not necessarily good. He knows all that. So therefore, he understands. No, he understands. He knows, but yet he is God, and he's not content with letting your worldliness continue to cultivate and grow. He is a great physician and he's going to cut. He's going to cut away so that the worldliness isn't going to be able to breathe within that relationship that you're to have with him. He wants to be your friend. God says, I can't have this affectionate, intimate relationship because you have another love. Maybe you don't think it's the world, but it's yourself. How would that work with someone who's married? This is my spouse, and as you heard Pastor Shaver say in that example, and here's my fiancé. And I wonder if you're trying to get to God, trying to get through to God, you, you, you try to come up with testimonies. You know testimony time's coming around. you got to come up with a testimony. But wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to come up with one? It's just there. But you're trying to reach out to God and you're going through your time with God and God says, but what about that one here in the picture? You're crying out to God saying, you're my only, you're my deliverer, you're my savior. And God says, but what about him? What about her? What about that? And we become like Saul. The preacher Samuel asked Saul, have you sacrificed or rather have you uh, slayed and slaughtered? Have you done what God told you to do? And Saul says, I've done it all. And the preacher said, well, why then do we hear the bleeding of the sheep? Why is it we hear noise of that which is not of God? And the result of that is God, instead of being your best friend, it becomes your enemy. God's a jealous lover. Verse six, we're, verse five and six, we're told that he wants us all to himself. Hey, he has a right. He paid for this deal. He paid for this relationship. He created you in his image. He purchased you with his blood. And yet somebody says, well, can I not just have fun? Do we ever have fun? Well, here's the answer to that. In your idea of fun, is God included or excluded? 
And I'm so glad for verse 6, he gives inexhaustible grace. Great, greater grace. Because God doesn't want there to be any breach in the relationship. But worldliness, it can happen here. It can happen anywhere. It can happen as a student. It can happen as a preacher. And as soon as you say, this is not for me, this one doesn't pertain to me. No, the other message, this one doesn't. It's when the devil says, I know where to lay my, my trap. I know what bait to use here. May we be aware. 